in a crude laboratory in the basement of his home. And welcome to the CEO Raider podcast with your host, John Maeda. Check us out online at ceorader.com. If you like the podcast, subscribe at Apple Podcasts, leave a review while you're there. Also check out our newsletter, techtoday.com, T-E-K number two day.com, where we cover much of the subject material that we cover on the podcast, typically in a, in a, a bit more detail. The podcast and Tech Today probably have approximately 80% overlap. So you will find content on Tech Today that you will not find on the podcast. And in the short term, Tech Today will remain free. It's going to be a premium newsletter here very soon. It's going to be a $7 a month newsletter. So not terribly expensive. We, we created Tech Today such that it would be available to to anybody at an affordable price. So you'll find similar content to what I used to publish back when I was a a banker and I would craft research notes for institutional investors. One of the items that I've written about in the past and that I've talked about here on this podcast is, you know, the 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 artificial intelligence platforms at at Amazon, Google, uh, Microsoft has one, Apple, everybody has an AI platform. In terms of uh you know, AI in the home, Amazon with its Echo line and and Google with its uh, Google Home line of products are, are clearly the two leaders in, in AI-powered smart speakers. You know, Toyota announced the other day that they're going to include Amazon in its cars, the Alexa AI. And we had talked about that this summer on the podcast where we said we expect the two leaders, Amazon and Google, to extend their AI platform from the home into the office into the car and that they would end up dominating the automobile space not some of the incumbents like IBM and and Nuance but rather uh, these two platform giants would end up owning that space so you're starting to see that now but today I want to focus on on corporate governance BlackRock if you guys know BlackRock the institutional investment manager they have active funds passive they're probably better known for their index funds Larry Fink the firm's founder and CEO said that they're going to take a more active role on the passive side. So I like what BlackRock has done in the past on the active side, where they've said we're going to ask that you know companies we invest in focus less on quarterly results, more on long-term growth. As such, you know CEOs and boards of companies that we invest in, you should be able to be able to articulate your long-term strategy. You know the board should show how they're measuring performance, you know, all, all, all good stuff. And just in the past couple of days, Larry Fink posted a, an open letter, and I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes. You can find it on BlackRock's website, where they're going to take a similar approach to the index funds, to passive investing. You know, as, a, as, a, as an institutional asset manager, you create a, an index fund, and it sort of mimics the index. I mean, it doesn't take activist positions. And that's what BlackRock's going to do. They're going to start to take activist positions within the passive fund. So they're going to demand that CEOs be able to articulate long-term strategy, uh, operating strategy, you know, everything from you know driving growth to strategy around. For example, one of the things they call it in the letter is 
taxes, given that corporate taxes are going to be reduced here. How do companies, how do you plan to reinvest that incremental capital? So I, I, I agree with forcing companies, not forcing, but asking of companies that you invest in to be able to articulate their strategy and, and demonstrate how they measure performance over time. Don't feel the same way on the passive side, however. Passive is passive. You can't have it both ways. But hey, you know, it's, it's a free country and you're certainly uh, uh, free to make that ask. And, and they have. In addition to sort of traditional corporate governance measures around operating performance and, and rewarding performance and so on and so forth, uh, Fink goes on to ask that companies, you know, take a broader view of corporate governance and think about societal impact and social issues and the impact that a particular company's actions may have on, on the community. So a bit of social activism sprinkled in with traditional corporate governance. So that's all interesting. And mind you, this will be on both sides now. Not only the actively managed, the active managed funds, but on the, on the passive side as well. And so what BlackRock is doing is they have a, a corporate governance group. BlackRock has an internal corporate governance group. They refer to it as an investment stewardship group. And they're going to be doubling the size of that group to now, you know, extend its function across the, the, the passive funds as well. So full disclosure, I reached out to these guys because, and I won't say who particularly, but at a senior level at BlackRock, given that we at CEO Raider are, I believe, uniquely qualified across the, the fintech vendor landscape. We're the only vendor that's taking a look at CEO performance across a variety of different measures. So we have four broad categories today that, that we measure CEOs on. We have a set of 42 predefined attributes that cover four broad areas. Uh, those categories, those broad areas are personality-related attributes, investor-related attributes, strategy and tactics, and operations-related attributes. And some of those attributes bleed into the area of corporate governance, but we're going to be building out more uh, corporate governance-specific attributes that will extend our attribute set from 42 to, let's call it, 50. So I'm sort of thinking through those specific corporate governance attributes now that we may include in the, in the platform. And just in summary, you know, at, at CEO Raider and Myself personally, generally speaking, you know, we're in alignment with what BlackRock is is doing at a high level around corporate governance. You know, I don't necessarily agree in extending that to the to the passive side, because again, you can't have it both ways unless you openly say, "Hey, we're on the on the on the quote unquote passive side." We BlackRock we're a bit of a hybrid, and that we have these requests around corporate governance. But generally speaking. You know, we obviously agree here at CEO Raider. We think too many CEOs, too many boards, to be blunt, are asleep at the switch. And that doesn't mean a particular CEO or board is, is poor at everything. But if you're asleep at the switch in one particular area, and we've highlighted uh, cybersecurity a number of times on this podcast, but push cybersecurity to the side for the moment, you, you have a fiduciary responsibility 
as a CEO, a public company CEO, a public company board, to always do the right thing, which, quote unquote, the right thing, I realize is a very broad term. But if I were CEO of a public company, yeah, I'd almost feel guilty taking long weekends, working anything less than an 18-hour day, every, every waking hour, at least during the week has got to be spent on the company. Because as we've said a number of times on this podcast, and I've written about it, just because you meet earnings guidance for the quarter for the year, top-line guidance, EPS guidance, EBITDA margin guidance, whatever public guidance you give, just because you meet or beat that guidance doesn't mean it warrants uh, that you pat yourself on the back. doesn't mean that you're winning in the marketplace doesn't mean that you're effective you know there's always room for improvement but i think as as a ceo of a public company and as a public company board member particularly companies that are doing well and have leadership positions amazon apple google and that's in mega cap land but across all market cap sizes if you're in a leadership position you ought to be laying awake at night and asking yourself, you know, what aren't we doing? What's the opportunity cost of pursuing the path that we're pursuing? As well as we're doing, what aren't we doing that could potentially help us to perform even better over the long term in particular? I'm not talking about what could we do that could help us, you know, beat numbers for the, the quarter to re- be reported in the next 90 days. Not in the short term, not even so much for the the upcoming 12-month period, but over the, the long term, what could we do to help us further establish or maintain or extend our leadership position? And one of the things BlackRock's talked about and we've talked about in the past is be less focused on the immediate term. Be less focused on the next quarter. Take your t- story to Wall Street. Tell them, look, you know, rather than have, for example, a 40% operating margin, we like to run our business somewhere in the low 30s because we feel like it's especially important you know for example as a technology company that that we continually reinvest in in product people in the technology otherwise the market can move away for us from from us very quickly you know take your story to the street explain to investors why it's important to invest tell them hey we we know you'd love to have you know five extra points of, of EBITDA margin, but we're not going to give it to you. Here's why. You know, explain it to them. Many investors don't, you know, don't have operating experience. Many investors or a number of investors may not understand long-term strategy or appreciate how difficult it is. You know, they know how to assess how you're performing versus the key performance indicators, the various metrics that they track. But it's, it's your job as a CEO and CFOs to to raise investors' collective gaze toward the horizon. Pull their gaze up from the spreadsheet and have them focus on the longer term. But you have to explain to them why that's important. You know, explain to them that, hey, the results we're going to post on the next quarterly earnings call those results are a function of decisions we made well in the past. So let me explain to you what our decision-making process is, how we go about making decisions. 
how we go about hiring people and qualifying people so that the decisions they make steer us in the right direction and ensure that you know internally we're all on the same path working toward the same mother mission working toward the same sort of departmental missions that all roll up to the mother mission so on and so forth that that you know that demonstrate alignment but you've got to explain it to investors if you're CEOs you know many CEOs just you know don't understand the investor side so in because they didn't grow up there but if you're a CEO or a CFO of a public company you know, don't assume just because an institutional investor is an institutional investor that they understand the nuances of how companies operate and how difficult it is to tie strategy to tactics to execution. So as much as it's important that if you're a CEO, you have to get institutional investors to understand your business, you know, that's sort of job one of the communication. Here's what we do. Here's the, you know... We build widgets, is how we build them, is why they're better than the other guys. And oh, by the way, we're working on this this new widget that's going to transform the industry. You know, they have to understand the, the, the story. But then it's almost equally, not almost, it is equally important that investors understand how you go about, you know, making these decisions, what your thought process is, what, what your uh, leadership principles are, your operating principles. Because it's those principles that, that guide your decision making and your strategic strategic direction, your tactical direction. And if you're an investor, you should be asking those questions. It's not all about you know monthly active users, weekly active users, daily active users, uh, pricing pressure, uh, number of sub sub growth, uh, net retention, net churn, so on and so forth, net subscriber growth. The metrics matter, obviously. But what are the decisions that led to the success? What decisions may that company make that will help them extend that successful period or accelerate the rate of success, accelerate subscriber growth? If you start asking those questions as an investor, you may find that, hey, this management team does a great job of balancing long-term strategy with sort of the immediate term and execution and their ability to operate in the here and now. They do it very well. This is a quality management team. And you may find other management teams where you say, man, the, you know, this particular management team, they're all about you know, maximizing profitability for today they always beat numbers. That's great. But these guys, every, every time they come through the office or I go out and see them, they're never talking about long-term strategy. They're never talking about how they may displace competitors. Not that they have to share inside information around competitive intelligence that they may have, but you know, every company should be, able to, should be able to articulate to you as an investor how they think about the long-term and how often they think about the long-term. So I think the the... A breadth of questions needs to be expanded on both sides, the institutional investor side, the company side, particularly as it pertains to non-operating metric type issues, particularly as it pertains to leadership principles, management principles, long-term strategy. 
the quote-unquote softer skill stuff, which really, really matters in the long term. See you all next time.